Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I'm honored to have sitting U.S. Congressman Earl Buddy Carter. Buddy Carter represents the Georgia's first congressional district, which includes Savannah, Brunswick, Hinesville, down that lower coastal corner of Georgia. And at the time of this recording is the only current sitting member who is of U.S. Congress who's a pharmacist, although that will change shortly. He's also a graduate from the University of Georgia with his BS in pharmacy, so go dogs! And welcome to the, po- the welcome to the podcast, Buddy Carter. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, hey, it's the honor's all mine here. I'm you're someone I've always looked up to as a pharmacist who has played the political realm to get where you are and i think we need more people who are who are in your in your shoes or trying to emulate what you've done to help push pharmacy and healthcare in general forward so again thanks for coming on the podcast and and with that what really drove you to into politics from pharmacy well to be quite honest with you i've always been interested in in public service um i've been truly blessed in my life i'm my my father worked in a paper mill. He worked shift work. He worked hard. He provided opportunities for us. And I was the first one in my family and not just my immediate family, my extended family to graduate from college. And I, um, I, I've just been blessed, as I say, and I felt it was very important to, to give back to the community. And I was never really that involved when I was in high school, although I was very involved in leadership roles in my church. But when I went to college, I, I was president of freshman class. And then, of course, I, I had aspired for many years to own my own business. And when I opened my own business, I knew I needed to get involved in my community. So I, I, I volunteered for the Planning and Zoning Committee and served on that for four years. Then I ran for city council and ran for mayor and ran for state house, ran for state senate, and then ran for Congress. And just kind of mushroom from there. <laughs> so you really had a long game to this when you were doing it, that maybe you didn't have the end in sight, but you just kept kind of taking that one next step, right? Well, that's right. And, and you know, it is important. And perhaps, you know, uh, you don't end up in Congress, but I mean, it's just as important for us because pharmacists are leaders in their community and, and people look up to them. You know, we're one of the most well-respected professions in America. And it's important that we take an active role in our communities. It's important for us to be involved, and whether it's, uh, you know, with the homeowners association, with the city council, with the county commission, or, or you know, just as a big brother, big sister. It's important for us to to be involved. Yeah, I think that's a a huge thing that you touch on there is how well respected we are in the community because people come to us with questions for everything. Sometimes it's you know. Hey, what's this? What's good for this rash? Does this need to get looked at by emergency room? Or sometimes it's just, hey, what are your thoughts on this healthcare thing? Or I don't understand this, you know, from from what's being voted on, that sort of thing. Even so, I think that's a a good call out there. I'm sure you get questions like that all the time as you serve in Congress, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that, and it is important because you know your patients look to you for your healthcare for their healthcare needs, but they also look at you and. And, 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 you know, value your opinion. So I, I think that speaks well of our profession. I Listen, I, I love pharmacy. I, I, I think it's a great profession. I don't think I could have chosen a, a greater profession. And I mean that sincerely. It's, it offers so much. I mean, there's so many different um, avenues that you can take right within your own profession. I mean, you can go retail, which obviously I love being an extrovert. But, if, you know, if you want to practice in the hospital, have more clinical setting, 
uh, or even if you want to do nuclear or compounding, there's just so many different disciplines within this 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 great profession that that we all love. Yeah, and within that, there's so many different skill sets and knowledge sets with that. And you know, I'm like you. I'm a retail pharmacist by my 11 years as a pharmacist, and even before that, as a technician and intern. Pharmacist, being a pharmacist in a hospital was never like the greatest thing for me just because it didn't fit me. But I totally respect those people who do it and they know more clinically than I probably do. So it's just, again, that different perspective, even within the same profession really goes a long way. You mentioned some of the roles you had kind of before you were a congressman being mayor and things like that. Was, was that like a challenge for you to kind of step up from the pharmacy and the politics realm? Like, how was that perceived? Like, was that like a like it's a total change in dynamics, the way people treated you or kind of like what, what, how did that shift exactly? Cause pharmacy and politics could not be much more different of a field really. Well, that's, that's very true. And I'm not naive enough to believe <laughs> that I didn't lose some customers as a result of being in the public, uh, in the public eye like that. I know I did, but, but then, you know, it probably, hopefully it evened out and, but nevertheless, the, the overwhelming reason and, and, the, the real reason was because, it, it, you know, at that time we were a small community. We're not anymore, but at that time we were, and I, it was just important that I be involved and important that um, that, that that I serve. So it, it was quite an honor. I love being mayor. I tell you, you <laughs> can't get any closer to the people than being mayor or being on city council. You know, if you're in the state legislature, like in Georgia, you're in Atlanta. If you're in the Congress, you're in Washington. But when you're when you're the mayor, and especially when you have your own business, you're right there. And, you know, you see people in the grocery store, you see them at church or wherever, and there's really no escape them at all. So I love being mayor. It was great. Plus, we were a growing city at the time and, um, you know, ultimately became the second fastest growing city in, in Georgia. So it was just a great time. You know, timing is everything. And it was a great time to be mayor. Yeah, one thing you hit on that pharmacy and politics do share is whether you're a pharmacist or a politician, if people know you, they will come up to you with questions about it, no matter where you are. <laughs> well, that's true. And, and, you know, the pharmacists on this podcast here, I mean, I'm sure when you're in the grocery store, you'll have a patient come up to you and ask you a question about the medication. And same thing goes with, with politics. So it's no different whatsoever. Yeah, that's, that's interesting how they're different, but they have that one kind of weird public facing part that's very, very common. Um, you know, being for a long time, the only sitting pharmacist in Congress, I'm sure that kind of shaped your outlook on legislation differently than, you know, somebody who's an MD or somebody who's a nurse or even people who aren't in healthcare whatsoever. How has that kind of like changed the way you've seen legislation from your role as a pharmacist slash uh, politician? Well, it, it is important. And, and you're right. I have been the only pharmacist serving in Congress for, for quite a while now. Uh, we do have help on the way, which I'm very excited about, but um, it is important to get it out there. And I will tell you, as a pharmacist, I've, I'm a member of the Doctors' Caucus. Now, that was not an easy task, uh, getting into the pharmacy, into the Doctors' Caucus. We all know the relationship between pharmacists and doctors sometimes can be somewhat sh stressful. But the point is, is that, um, you know, they were very accepting to me once I got in and I'm in like Flint now. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an integral part of it and they recognize. And what, what really, what really excites me is that we have gotten the message across. Now, when we start talking about drug pricing, I just sit back because 
my colleagues, my the physicians in the doctor's caucus, they're singing off the song sheet now. They're just, oh, it's those PBMs. It's, uh, we need more transparency. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the middleman. That's the problem right there. And I just sit back and I say, man, we have educated them, and we have. Now, it's a little more difficult for those outside of the doctor's caucus because, obviously, I, when I first got up there, they didn't even know what a PBM stood for. They didn't know what the acronym stood for. They know it now. I tell you, most members of Congress know it now. And they come up to me all the time and almost on a daily basis. Oh, I didn't know you were a pharmacist. Um, my my um, constituent told me that you're leading a letter I need to get on. And that's where the advocacy comes in. And that's where the, the grassroots advocacy comes in because, you know, Congress is a citizen legislature. I mean, we have pharmacists, we have doctors, we have um, preachers, we got way too many lawyers, we've got almond, we, you know, we got almond grove farmers, we've got, uh, you know, dairy farmers, and you obviously you gravitate toward those people whenever there's an issue. In other words, whenever I have an issue, whether there's legislation on new car sales, I go to the new car salesman. I know that there's a a, a representative from Texas, a representative from Pennsylvania, a representative from Florida, and they're all new car salesmen. So I go to them and I ask them, hey, tell me about this. Whenever there's a financial services piece of legislation, I go to the accountant and I ask him, hey, what about this? Well, the same thing goes with me. If there's legislation dealing with pharmacy, my colleagues come up to me all the time. Hey, what do you think about this? Explain this to me. And so it, it really does help. Yeah, and that that's huge because that shows that one they trust you, but two, they know that you've seen it on the the front line serving end of it. And I know a lot of times when when I talk with legislators, mostly in my state here of Ohio, you know, I tell them like, you know, hey, I, I like this bill, I don't like this bill, whatever it is, but you know, on the front lines, this is what I think it could mean for not just me and my profession, but like my patients and how they're impacted by that, which is exactly what you're going to and why you you need those experts in the in the caucuses or people to know you're a pharmacist and. One thing I think you kind of touched on a little bit there, you said people didn't know you're a pharmacist. I think as pharmacists, we do a really bad job about humble bragging about ourselves. We don't we don't always go out there and tell one, "Hey, I'm a pharmacist." And but you know, when you see people stand up who are who are physicians, they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm doctor so and so." You know, they really make that very pronounced. Do you think that that's an issue maybe that we need to work a little better on is how we self-promote ourselves as pharmacists? No question about it. I I preach this. I'm so adamant about it. I I refer to it as preaching because I do. I preach this. We need to understand the importance and the value that we bring to our customers and to our patients. It's all about the patient. You know, oftentimes being having owned my own business for many years, you know, sometimes it's interpreted as, oh, he's just looking out for himself. But what you have to do and what so many people can do, so many pharmacists can do, is to invite their member of Congress to their practice setting, whether it be retail pharmacy, whether it be hospital pharmacy or and, and compounding. Invite them to your practice setting. Let the member of Congress see what you do. Let them talk to some of your patients and understand from those patients the value that you bring to the healthcare system. Ninety-five percent of all Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professionals in the United States. And we need to be practicing to the top of our license. We need to be utilizing all the clinical skills that we have. I will tell you, I graduated in 1980, and the, and the pharmacy students who are graduating now 
are so much more clinically oriented and, and, and have so much more clinical expertise. That's something we need to make sure people understand. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the one quote that you said there was practice to top your license. I, I think that's one thing that cannot be promoted enough because there's so many different things in, in every state's different that we can do with our licenses. And former guest on the podcast, Jennifer Adams, she always says practice to the top of your knowledge, which is kind of, I think, where you were going with that by saying that, hey, now these people are so much more advanced clinically than when you graduated. And I'm not going to put a date on that for people, but um, yeah, uh, but so many more people, when I look at like my mom's a pharmacist and when she graduated versus when you know I graduated, I knew a lot more clinically than she did. And I felt like because you know I had a, a PharmD and she has a, you know, the BS of farm like you do. And there had been about 30 years difference that, you know, maybe we need to, I don't want to say split it farm to BS farm, but we need to up our game as pharmacists of what we can do because of what we do know and how much healthcare has changed. Like you said, we're so accessible. Why not use that accessibility to help decrease cost and, you know, avoid ER visits and things like that. Is that kind of like what you're, you're alluding to with some of that? Oh, no question about it. Two things very quickly. First of all, currently we're going through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to get across to the uh, to, to, to the administration and, and to all of those on the team at, at the White House is to help them understand that, you know, pharmacists are, are the ones who are giving the most vaccines right now. Most, most people are getting their vaccines at, at a pharmacy. We need to be able to administer the COVID-19 vaccine. And I think we're going to be able to do that. We some of us and in, in some pharmacies particularly the chains, are able to do some of the diagnostics now, but there's no reason why pharmacists shouldn't be able to administer the diagnostic test as well. That those, All those things are have changed dramatically. The other point I want to make is this. One of the primary issues that we have been discussing and that we will continue to discuss and that will continue to come before us in Congress is, is health care and health care uh, costs. We, in order to bring down healthcare costs, we're going to have to have more transparency. Obviously, we're going to have to have more competition, and we're going to have to utilize all of the ancillary healthcare services that are available out there. We're, we're going to have to, you know, the days where the doctor was the only one that was, you know, was the only one that made the decisions in the healthcare services. Those are over with, long over with. And I think that even the physicians have accepted that now. If you look at what happens in the hospital, you know that the pharmacist is an integral member of the healthcare team there. Right. Actually going on rounds in the morning with the doctor and with the healthcare team, and they depend on them. So it, it has changed dramatically over the years, and that's what's going to be the key, in my opinion. Uh, allied health has got to be utilized if we're ever going to bring down healthcare costs here in America, and we will, and 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 that's one of the ways that we're going to do it. Now, you might be a little biased in this, given you're a pharmacist, but do you think that pharmacist provider status is a key cog in that, so that we can do some of that stuff with a little more freedom and help improve some of these things you're talking about? Absolutely, that is. I, I think that holds the key to to our future, and. Uh, you know, I, I look around and I see that we're one of the few healthcare professions that that aren't being compensated for for our clinical help and our clinical knowledge. And you know, my wife's a physical therapist. Physical therapists are are um, compensated through Medicare for for their 
clinical work, and we need to make sure that that we're involved in that, and and certainly that this is a big part of it. Having provider status, we've been working on this and working on this. We had hoped during the pandemic that we would be able to get it included, and we've um, we've come close, and that's good, and that's important because we've got to keep on pushing this issue. And certainly, I think that the I think the administration understands it much better now, and CMS and, and HHS understand. And I think we've got a friend in Seema Verma with CMS. I think we've got a friend and an ally in, in Alex Azar with HHS. They they get it, and they always want to include pharmacists. And I know for a fact that we have a strong ally in the Department of Public Health with the Surgeon General, with Jerome Adams. He is always singing the praises of, of pharmacists. That's that's good to know. That's good to know. A lot of time pharmacists, when they see these people and they hear their titles, either just by default with us being more in a introverted people in general compared to the, the public, tend to think that it's either intimidating, we can't make a difference, or that they're not engaged with it. So to hear a sitting member of Congress say that to me, that really throws a lot of weight behind, hey, people are listening, speak up, and kind of show off what you can do, show off what you know, show that if you're given a chance, you can make an impact in the, in your community in the middle of like what is the largest pandemic in at least a hundred years. So I think that that's, that's a key point you hit on there. What ways do you think pharmacists could effectively reach out? Because we, you know, Twitter is one thing always people always think of, but I'm sure there's more effective ways they can reach out to uh, kind of show what they can do or have an impact with their voice. Well, certainly as we talked about earlier and making sure that um, you have invited your, your members of Congress to, to your practice settings and to, to show them the value that you bring to the healthcare system. That's extremely important. Utilizing all the platforms that are available in social media now, like Twitter and, and Instagram and all those things. Yes, it is important, but you know, I, I think we're on the same page here. One of the problems is, is that we don't promote ourselves enough and promote our profession enough. And listen, we, we've got to do that. It, it's, I know it's uncomfortable sometimes. It makes you, feel a little uncomfortable, but it's just part of what you got to do. I mean, it's it's an integral part of what you got to do. I used to be a consultant pharmacist in a nursing home, and, you know, listen, I don't care how many times you do it. If you didn't do the paperwork, it didn't get done. It was it just simply wasn't done. It, you know, it's just a follow-up. You just If you don't tell people what you're doing, then it's going to go unnoticed. Yeah, no, that's that's 100% true, and I think something that pharmacists, because we have been so inundated with work and filling prescriptions and answering the phone, we just don't have, we're so used to not having time to do that, we're not making the time to do it either, which is its own issue. Um, what advice would you give a pharmacist, say someone like me, who wanted to step up into politics a little bit, but was a little bit reserved in doing so, what advice would you give us in like making the next step, if you will? I, I would strongly encourage you just to get out and volunteer and, you know, city council. That That is so very important. Um, school boards. Now, I will tell you, I've aspired to hold many offices before, but I've never aspired to be on a school board. That's a <laughs> tough job, let me tell you. Yeah. You start messing with people's kids, that's a tough job. And God bless the people who do it because it's an important job. We all know that. But that the, the key is, as I mentioned before, when I first opened my business in, in my hometown, I, I volunteered for the Planning and Zoning Committee, and I just so happened to hit it at the right time because we were growing by leaps and bounds, and, and the planning part of it was extremely important. So I, I just went and just volunteered and said, hey, I want to serve. I want to help in any way I can. And next thing I know, I was running for 
city council. Next thing I know, I was running for mayor, and it just it was a domino effect from there. Okay. Yeah, I think a lot of pharmacists, they think when they have to run for political office, they think of roles like yours as a congressperson and then see the barriers to entry with the cost and the campaigns and the logistics or even the state position, and they think it's not nearly that level, but it's still up there, and they think that's the only way to get in. But I think that's a good point you touch on of start local and kind of grow your roots and make an impact from there, and that can really have as much effect on the world as anywhere else. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. The um, Another thing that I kind of wanted to look at this was, you know, with some of these incoming people like Diane Harshberger, who's a pharmacist, and Jerry Carl, who owns a pharmacy, and there's so much talk about PBM reform and healthcare reform all over the place. Do you think that that gives a little more, as you mentioned before, transparency and more eyes who are knowledgeable about this, who can maybe get some of these things changed so that pharmacists can be better utilized for some of these higher skill, higher knowledge tasks here in the in the future or during the pandemic right now? I don't think there's any question about it. I'm extremely excited about having Diana up there and about having Jerry up there. Uh, whereas, as you said, Jerry's not a pharmacist. He does own a pharmacy. He gets it. He understands what's going on here. He understands what's happening with PBMs. Diana surely understands it. And the more people we have up there um, singing off the same song sheet and the more people we have up there educating our colleagues, the better off we are. Um, you know, I'm I'm positioned in a great uh, situation right now, being on the Energy and Commerce Committee and a member of the Health Subcommittee, which is where I, I wanted to be and where I should be. And I'm having the opportunity. We have jurisdiction over HHS and jurisdiction over CMS. So I have the opportunity to influence those those decisions that are made there. And we just need to continue. And, and, and again, Diana and Jerry are going to be great additions and help us out tremendously in Washington. Yeah, and I think the one interesting thing there, and I, I forget Jerry, but I know you and Diana are both Republicans. But when you look at PBM reform, this is really a bipartisan issue when it comes to cost. So I think that that's a really a reach you guys can make, or people can make to you, either which way across the aisle, to make a huge difference in America's healthcare and and for pharmacists and patients overall. So I, I'm looking forward to that and seeing what comes of that, either the rest of this term or in the next term when all three of you guys are in there. So that's going to be. Well, that is a great point. So thank you for making that. Um, Jerry is also a Republican. But listen, these issues are not partisan. They are, they are bipartisan issues. I mean, when we talk about health care, when we talk about PBMs, when we talk about uh, prescription drug pricing, I never went up to the counter when I was before I got involved in politics and somebody asked me, how much is that prescription going to be? I never said, well, are you a Democrat or you're Republican? <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't matter. You, you know, yeah. it's the price is the price. And it has an impact on everybody. And listen, we work together on this in Congress as well. The, the committee that I serve on that I mentioned earlier, the Energy and Commerce Committee, you know, we, we work together on these issues. And particularly when it comes to, to prescription drug pricing, particularly when it comes to, to PBM reform and transparency, they get it. They understand. In fact, I'm currently the co-chair of the Pharmacy Caucus. And my other co-chair is Peter Welch from from Vermont, who's a Democrat, and we work well together. That's awesome. That's glad to hear because as we sit here and we're recording this, we still know who the president is, so America's still pretty divided at this moment, but it's good to know that at least congressmen and congresswomen are working with each other to try and fix some of these issues with the skills and knowledge they have. I think that cannot be preached on enough. (laughs) Well, and that's a good point because, listen, unfortunately, the media portrays us in a way that is not 
totally true. Now, I'm not going to deny that there's partisanship in Washington, D.C. Obviously, there is, particularly when it comes to the big issues, particularly when it comes to health care uh, and when it comes to, um, you, you know, pro-life or, or pro-choice, when it comes to Second Amendment rights. Yeah, those are in immigration. Those are tough issues and those are partisan issues. But I tell people all the time, and I mean this, 65, 70 percent of everything we do, we do in a bipartisan fashion. And we, we do have cooperation and we do get things done and we do get work done. But the media just tends to focus on the big issues that uh, that we are divided on. And we're divided and people, you know, that we're divided in this country on those issues as well. Yeah, I think that goes back to if it uh, if you can anger enough people that you'll get more viewers. And that's kind of the way that a lot of the media thrives in this country, whether it be online media, social media, television media, what have you. That's obviously not what I do here, <laughs> but you know, that's what a lot of media does when it comes to, to getting listeners and clicks and driving their revenues. So, Hey, before I let you go, Representative Carter, there's two questions I ask everyone who comes on the podcast and you being a sitting member of the U S Congress, there's no one better to ask these questions to. So I'm excited for your answers. If you could change one thing about pharmacy, not a law, just one thing about pharmacy, what would it be? If I could change one thing about pharmacy, what would it be? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, if I could change one thing about pharmacy, I'd tell you what I would change, and that would be that we have provider status. And, and I've been working on that ever since I've been up there. We should be compensated for our clinical knowledge. We should be compensated for the clinical services that we're giving to our patients. That's why I cannot stress enough how important it is that that we make sure that members of Congress and, and that members of, of HHS and CMS understand the value that we bring to the healthcare system, the value that we bring to to our patients. Yeah, no, I think that's huge, and that would definitely fall under the. I forget if it's CMS or HHS. You know that better than me, but yeah, that would fall right in their purview to help recognize that would be huge. Now let's draw a hypothetical here. I'm going to change the second question on you a little bit from what I normally ask. Say you're, say you're speaker of the house and you could draw right control, drop any law to change in pharmacy. What would it be? Yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> Goodbye PBM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I tell you, as a retail pharmacist for so many years, I get so frustrated and I'm so disappointed in the pharmaceutical manufacturers because in Alex Azar, who is Secretary of Health and Human Services, he used to be the CEO of, of Eli Lilly. He understands what's going on. I look at him all the time, and whenever I have an opportunity, and it's just he and I, I always say, you know what's happening here. You know what these PBMs are doing to you guys, and you guys are taking the blame for it. You're taking the hit for it. And they are. And listen, they're not totally without blame. Pharmaceutical manufacturers need to do a better job with their pricing. But, they, you know, the PBMs have got them by the short hairs. I mean, let's face it. They have control over patients' lives and over formularies. And if they don't cooperate, they're not going to get their medication. They're not going to get their, their drug on the formulary. And therefore, they're not, they're not exposing them like I feel like they should. Yeah. And, you know, when we when we look at prescription drug pricing, I just it just makes me cringe because I know the problem is the middleman. I know the problem. I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when we used to buy directly from the 
from the manufacturers. I remember we used to, uh, you know, every week we get a, a, a delivery a, um, in the mail from Upjohn, from Burke Sharp and Dawn, and we'd buy directly from them. And, yeah. But th- those days are over with now. And I get formularies, I understand them, but, you know, PBMs, if you look at their mission statement, they say, oh, it's to keep the price of drugs down. Well, how's that working out? <laughs> it ain't working out very well at all. Yeah. No, I uh, I totally agree with you there. And one of my frustrations that I always try and communicate to people is when I'm standing there as a pharmacist and there's like a PBM who puts something in like, we'll use insulin since it's a hot topic, but uh, Humalog insulin is a brand name that a lot of them will cover, but they won't cover the generic, even though it costs less. Well, there's no way to get it, you know, switch if there's a DAW, if it's Novolog or Humalog or something like that. Even though the answer is right behind me on the shelf, it, the, you know, I have to go get an authorization to get it switched or get it changed. Bastiglar and Lantis are some other ones, you know, that I'm thinking of insulin that are pretty expensive. That all it needs is, you know, me to call the doctor, but they might, because they're busy, might not get back to me quick enough. And the only barrier to that patient getting the medication in a timely manner is the PBM in this case. So that's the most frustrating thing to me is when I know the answer and it's right behind me on the shelf and I'm not empowered to make that switch to take care of the person that really, you know, needs it right then and there. So I'm glad to see me and, and you think alike on that. Well, we do. And, the, and you know, the biggest problem we got right now is the vertical integration. I mean, you look at the, the top three PBMs control 80% of the market. Yeah. And, and they're owned by insurance companies. You know, Cigna, that, let's say, which, which is, it is, I guess it's Aetna that owns um, – CVS that owns Caremark, and then it's Cigna that owns Express Scripts, that yep. owns Express Scripts Mail Order Pharmacy, which, from what I understand now, is the second busiest pharmacy in the country, mm-hmm. uh, the Mail Order Pharmacy for Express Scripts. And then you got the United with the same scenario. We just had a situation that we were working with, my office was working with the administration about trying to do away with some DIR fees. And and they were close to doing it, and then they came back and said, well, we can't do it because we're afraid if we do away with the DIR fees, it'll result in higher premiums for the insurance companies. Sadly, they were correct. It would have. The reason why is because the, the, the PBM, if they lose that revenue from the DIR fees, they're going to have to make it up somewhere else within their own business. And their own business means that they go up on their insurance premiums Ugh. because they are they answer to stockholders and they can't let their revenues decrease or their stock price will decrease. So it's just taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other pocket. It's so frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way of pointing that out. And, uh, I, you know, I, I guess that makes sense when you think of it like that. But it also I'm not someone who's pro-government oversight, but this is one of those times that, yeah, this one might need a little bit more oversight on some of these things. So, hey, um, well, Rep- Representative yeah. Carter, where can people find you if they want to reach out uh, to say, hey, they heard you here, to say thanks, or to you know, share for your love of pharmacy? Well, certainly reach out to our Washington office, and, and we are available. And please, um, you can look me up. Um, we're on the web. We're buddycarter.house.gov. That's buddycarter.house.gov. You can call our Washington office. Glad to give you that number. Area code 202-225-5831. 225-5831. And, you know, I'm available. And listen, we want to hear from you. And and we we love to hear from pharmacists, regardless of whether you're in our district or not. Don't That doesn't matter. We want to hear from you. Awesome. Yeah, and the good thing is maybe if you're a pharmacist, you might – be able to explain something better to Representative Carter here who can explain to your delegate because, 
you know, he's got those connections with where he is. So, hey, that's a good call for pharmacists to reach pharmacists to reach out to you. So, again, thanks for coming on the podcast, Representative Carter, and uh, keep doing that hard work there in D.C. Thank you. And listeners, if you can, please share this episode. I think some things we hit on here are huge when it comes to politics and pharmacy. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Thank you.